Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for this Friday, February 23rd starts now. Today on the show, Ben welcomes back an amazing guest talking perception, PR, and politics in America. None other than Think Inc. Strategy's own Lori Glenn. The Ben Jarofsky Show, a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink. If you want to know what the best in Chicago is, the best in Chicago issue just dropped. It's got all of your favorites. You, you like the best restaurants? Do you like the best uh, arts groups? Do you like the best musicians? It's all, all, it's all there. Just head to chicagoreader.com and get caught up. And if you want to find more Ben Jarofsky, head to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this PR Blues Friday, and here's why. Actually, we're not calling it PR Blues Friday at all. It's over a week. Lori Glenn is getting ready to come on. Uh, political strategist, communication guru, uh, dear friend of me in this show since the 80s. She's been badgering me to do stories since the 80s, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get into that, the connection of the dynamic, because this is very much on my mind. Let me just open with PR Blues, what I mean. Uh, every reporter I know in the city of Chicago, well, not every, I don't really actually know a lot of reporters. Isn't that weird? Like, I'm like, like a self-hating journalist. I don't hang out with other journalists. The really only ones I know really well are Mick Dumkey and Ramana Hussein. Uh, so I always turn to Mick for help with trying to understand uh, j- mainstream journalists. That's actually not true. Danny Miolopoulos, Alden Lowry. Now I'm thinking about it. There's others I know. But journalists are aghast right now uh, at this is so inside journalists. Nobody cares about journalists, think. Uh, but ju- let me just tell you, I'm gonna, I might give you guys a little insight on what journalists are talking about now. Uh, reporters, journalists, comments, whatever you want to call them. And they're all mad at uh, Brandon Johnson, Mayor Brandon Johnson. They're mad at Brandon Johnson because Brandon Johnson, uh, <laughs> uh, my goodness, we talked about this on Wednesday. I had a field day with this with Monroe Anderson. Brandon Johnson apparently had scheduled a meeting with the Chicago Sun-Times editorial board. Uh, and then at, when the when they convened the meeting and got ready to get uh, with start the conversation, uh, Brandon Johnson's assistant, uh, Ronnie Reese, insisted that it was off the record. Uh, Lorraine Forte, the Chicago Sun-Times editorial board, said no, that we didn't, those aren't the rules. We're not going to do that. Sorry. And then one thing led to another, uh, and they didn't have the meeting. Uh, my beloved Bright One reported on that. Uh, and since then, there's <laughs> one, one writer after another is like, yes, God damn him. Uh, how dare he? I got mixed feelings about this. On the one hand, I think it's absolutely, utterly absurd to have a sit down with the editorial board and call it off the record. 
And what's the point? As Monroe Anderson said, why? You, the whole point is to get your spin out there. You want it on the record. You know, off the records are so stupid anyway. I'm going to, off the record conversations are dumb, in my humble opinion. I'm going to have that conversation with Lori Glenn, see what she thinks about that. I bet she has a different idea about it than I do. But anyway, in, in this particular instance, there's no point in talking to the editorial board. Now, what the journalists who are aghast and outraged uh, about uh, Mayor Johnson saying that to um, the uh, uh, Chicago Sun-Times, what they're not telling you is that they're constantly being spun every day of their life by politicians who are far more adept at the game than Brandon Johnson. And in other words, Ron would do that. Ron would call up. And there's a lot of these journalists who are weighing in uh, uh, how outraged they are with Brandon Johnson, who would be the targets of Ron spinning. And a Ron Emanuel, you remember him, Chicago, in your infinite wisdom, you elected him not once, but twice. Heck of a job, Chicago voters. Uh, Rahm Emanuel would call a reporter, it's off the record, and then he would tell a reporter how smart he is or she, how wise he is or she, and uh, how he benefits from her thoughts. So let's have a conversation. Like he cared about what that reporter thought. And the reporters, like the feelings of inadequacy that a reporter has, like going to the mind of a reporter, or the sense of worth a reporter has, one or the other combination leaves them really vulnerable to this kind of spin. And Rom knew it. Rom would be like, oh, you're a genius. And he'd probably be rolling his eyes. This dummy actually believes it. <laughs> and then he would act like he cared what the reporter said. And then he would throw in some little scoop like, well, this is what this one did. This one, that. He would badmouth somebody. And that would like prejudice the reporter. You know, the psychology, the dynamics, they couldn't help it. The next, they would pull that punch on Rom because he talked to me. He likes me. I'm someone, <laughs> you know, and then he would like have a bias. You know how many people have told me about X, Y, and Z? You can't trust this person. They're not who you think they are. They are drunks. They play around in their world. They always throw all like this like garbage that I can't ever put it out there because it's just unsubstantiated garbage, but that's the game. So the reporter's whining and crying. Oh, Brandon walked out of the Sun Times. He wouldn't be on. That's outrageous. I'm going to show you, Mayor Johnson. I'm going to pummel you. Well, here's what Mick Dumkey told me about this wiser man than I am. He said, Ben, they don't care. The mayor's people don't care about journalists anymore. Those days are over. They learned from fill in the blanks. I don't know. Rom, Obama. Trump. They don't care about journalists. You guys are just tools. They use you to get to the public and now they go straight to the public. They don't need you anymore. You guys don't matter. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter that all the journalists, I'm outraged. Damn it. Talk to me, Brandon. They want to be spun, Brandon. Don't you get it? They want the old days where mayors called them up and said, you're so smart. You're so brilliant. Your insights. I don't know how I can get through my day without your insights. Oh, reporters. I know. I'll tell you what. It's a tough business to go into. One, they don't pay you much. Two, so many of these companies, like the Tribune one, that could just like, are horrifically horrible places to work for. Like destroying. Capitalism is destroying journalism. And yet the Chicago Tribune editorial board believes in capitalism. So like journalists are their own enemies. 
you know, nobody likes you. Nobody needs you. You know, but there's more hits on a Twitter thing. Got this a rant in a rail ever so and I've lost my mind. The point is, the bottom line is, it's always an insecure time to be a quote-unquote journalist uh, anywhere, but particularly in the city of Chicago, especially as the rules have changed. And Brandon Johnson uh, has made it clear. He doesn't need you, doesn't care about you, doesn't particularly want you, thinks he can win without you. And that is the reality. All right, without further ado, Lori Glenn's been very patiently sitting by, probably disagrees with 99% of what I just said. So we will now bring uh, Lori on because I've been waiting to have this conversation. And she suggested we have this conversation about communications in the new age of politics here in the city of Chicago. Without further ado, the great Lori Glenn. Welcome back, Lori. Hey, Ben. It's always a pleasure. As you said, we've been talking, uh, oh my God, for <laughs> about 35 years. And uh, that's a long time. And yes. uh, when we first started talking, I was 28 at the First National mm. Bank of Chicago, a lowly assistant vice president in the corporate affairs department. And uh, I started talking to Ben and uh it took me five years to get a story with Ben Jarofsky. And because uh, he didn't know who I was, you know, like, so didn't know what my cred was. And here I am working at a bank, even though, yes, Ben. Wait, hold on. I'm going to disagree with you. I, I believe, uh, you know what, memory, who, first of all, wait, I'm going to stop. Let's just say you did not write an article the first time I pitched you. And you and I have had so many long, I'm leading to a point, okay, long conversations over many, many years. And uh, finally, you did write a story. And what I want to say is that it's because we developed a relationship. And I would argue that that gave me credibility with you so that when I called you about something, and I was consistent, too, in talking to reporters. Uh, I'm not your normal hired gun, not anybody. And that's a bad analogy in this world today where guns are killing so many people. But um, I can, I, I can't, I'm not, you can't just hire me for anything. Uh, we only do what we believe in. We have a very strong value-centered business. Think Inc. is a political and public affairs consulting firm on social justice issue and issues, and we specialize in working with communities of color. And that includes Black, Latino, Muslim, as I'm a Jew, we must work together, and so many things. But my point to you is that in the work that we do, reporters I've developed relationships with over the many years, I believe, trust me, because I am consistent. I don't all of a sudden endorse or support an issue that would be opposite of what my progressive values are. So we're a value-centered firm. So I think that reporters like that because they know what they're going to get when they talk to me. And I do not lie to reporters ever because, you know, that will be it. Because once you lie to somebody, they know that you lie. And then they're not going to trust you. And one time I had a client actually lie to me. And Lynn Sweet caught it from the Chicago Sun-Times because 
she called me about a news release I sent out and this guy, you know, and I hadn't really checked my faxes because I trusted my client and I was shocked. And I called the client up and I said, you lied to me. And he said, yes, I did. But you wouldn't have sent this out if I told you the truth. And so I learned because I've made so many mistakes every day as a new and interesting mistake. But I'm saying this to you because I believe that good public relations or media relations is about relationship building. That's why it's called a relation. And really all of the work that we do is about influencing people to get them to think about things and act in the world. So there's a variety of vehicles that we use to do that. Uh, traditional media, social media, which is the bane of our existence and the destruction, mass destruction of our democracy, as far as I'm concerned. And I would say there is a place for traditional uh, news outlets, whether they're online or offline, because they are a third party affirmation that you yourself aren't just saying, oh, I'm so great, or look at what I did, but somebody else says they're great, look at what they did. And so there, there is this thing about actually still going to the media. So in our firm, because we do political strategy and we do comms communications, we do both traditional still and social media and have them engage. Now, mm. why are people upset at Mayor Brandon Johnson? So why are they concerned? And I've heard this from the media, and now I will not use anyone's names because I have a relationship with these people. And if I outed them, <laughs> they'd be really mad at me and they wouldn't like work with me again and they wouldn't trust me. So I think it's that after the previous mayor, who people had very strong feelings about in many ways, there was a... People were really looking forward to the emotional EQ, uh, shall we say, of Brandon Johnson. He's a nice man. You know, he comes off very affably. He's a smart guy. He uh, has, I think he is very value-centered. Uh, he has a strong point of view. And also, uh, as a progressive and having represented progressives, we have fought on the behalf of progressives. People assume he will be open government. Like nobody would ever think that Brandon Johnson would prevent people from going into the city council chambers, right? Uh, and when that happened, people got super upset, especially the BGA articulated it well. And so that didn't work and they, they pulled back on that. And then, um, you know, people want you to be a straight shooter, especially when they think you're going to be a straight shooter. So we are all put up on our pedestals uh, initially, and obviously uh, he had his honeymoon period, as we call it. And But people have been frustrated because they... They want him to succeed. I think there's a strong belief in the city of Chicago that we are at a cross section, you know, an intersection. You know, do we go the way of Detroit uh, over a period of time or do we go and move back up 
as a world-class city in all the different ways that means to so many different people. And people want Brandon Johnson to succeed. I want Brandon Johnson to succeed. I love Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. It's you know a lifelong passion of mine to see a healthy city. And so when somebody obfuscates, and I'm not speaking of the mayor, I'm just saying one obfuscates and is not direct in their answers or does not develop relationships with people, uh, it makes it more difficult and it's more disappointing when people start seeing attributes that they thought other people had, but this person wouldn't have. Now, there are other, I think that, so for me, creating accessibility, I've had other people who are in politics recently that I worked with that will again go nameless, who felt like a candidate was too accessible. And I was like, uh, no, really, this candidate has a long time relationship to this city and these reporters and reporters like this candidate we don't want to mess with the magic this candidate has because once you stop being accessible, you know what people think? I know you're hiding something and you're not being straight with them. So I think it would be always important for me with my clients. I actually never serve as a spokesperson for my clients because I want them to become the spokesperson and have the power. And I try to teach them to speak from their heart and to have people see their genuineness. Mm -hmm. And I think that these are important qualities that our current mayor has the ability to use. And I think it would be good for him to use them. But the media doesn't want to be talked down to. They don't want to be lectured. The media has been here in the press corps in Chicago uh, Fran Spielman has been in the press corps a long, long time. I mean, Fran scares me. <laughs> I've had people call me someone who's extremely powerful once, and they were terrified. And it was on a Friday afternoon, and they called me and said, Fran Spielman just called me, Lori, what do I do? And I'm kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> I had to calm them down, pull them from the ceiling, and we walked <laughs> through, and they talked to her. So I believe that this is um, a new administration. They have a lot of new voices in the administration, um, and also they have a very different viewpoint from really the previous administrations, because in the end, uh, Ms. Lightfoot's administration was not really progressive. It was more moderate. And certainly, Ron would not call himself a progressive. <laughs> I think he and, does call himself a progressive, actually. Well, I think I would Ron say, calls himself a progressive. I don't want to get into what he calls himself. Yeah, I would. So, actually, I do not know what he calls himself. So. Yeah. So, my point is that I think people were looking for fresh air, so to speak. All right. Let me, let me, uh, you, let does me break this make down. sense? Does this? Yeah. Uh, well, some of it I'm going to push back on because I don't agree with you. Uh, so, um, Believe it or not, look, um, one, nobody cares about transparency by and large in the city of Chicago. It's not something that motivates voters to vote. Uh, most voters are ignorant and asleep and are not paying attention. And if we have a good election, it's 35%. Uh, and that is largely because uh, Chicagoans have come to the conclusion 
that nothing they do will have any meaningful significance when it comes to an election. Uh, and so they are out of the process. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I will now do the math for you because some of you are slower than uh, others at math. If 35% of the people vote in the election, hold on, let me do the math. 65% are not voting. 65%, ladies and gentlemen. Let's pause and think about that. Okay? That's a lot of people. Number one. Number two, transparency. No one cares. Reporters only care about it when they don't get their freedom of information requests adhered to. The whole freedom of information program is just a tool to keep you from having stuff that should be on access. Right now, we have a proposal for the city of Chicago, Lori Glenn. I won't burden you with this other than the details. It has to do with the restructuring of the TIF program. Mayor Johnson says, I'm going to end the TIF program as it exists and use the money to uh, subsidize affordable housing. He has not named the TIF districts that he's closing. No one cares about that except for me. <laughs> you can't find the TIF districts that he named. Now, go, I'll go a step further. We had a great debate on Gaza, uh, on the ceasefire in Gaza, about two or three weeks ago. We talked about it a lot on this show. This, it was a res based on a resolution. You could not find a copy of that resolution on the clerk's website. The only person who could find it was Mick Dunkby, and it took him 15 minutes to find it, okay? And so my point is, people in Chicago don't care about But that's not They don't want to know what their government is up to. They are easily manipulated, and the job of people who call the reporters of the world, the downtown, is to manipulate them into publicizing gobbledygook that promotes their endeavors, like the Chicago White Sox are using the major media to promote their attempt to build uh, a new stadium. Am I too cynical for my own good, Lori Glenn? Well, actually, you know, I really wasn't talking about that. I was, in fact, talking. Those. That's a good question, Ben, as I bridge to what I want to talk about. Which is, I was not actually talking about the public at large. Okay. I'm talking about how do you work with the media? I thought that's what we were talking about, really. And to me, when I work with my clients, our clients, because I now have a team of 10, I'm very proud of them, is that we, it's that you need to have a relationship with these people. And um, distancing the mayor not having full access, having them see him as a human being, having them, him, them see him struggle, having them see him having to make hard decisions. I think that's way better. Using humor. I mean, again, we go back to Harold Washington. I mean, Harold had an even much harder time than Brandon Johnson when he was mayor. I mean, it was not, it's incomparable. But when I came back to Chicago, and I've said this before, uh, I think on your show, I was the last lowest person on the totem pole reading the ticker tape of Dow Jones and the AP and Reuters. And uh, I was the person to tell the bank that the mayor had died. And Barry Sullivan, the chairman, cried, who was a very conservative older white man. <laughs> and what my point to you is... Again, um, I believe it would be important for this mayor to let people in, to talk with them more. See, I don't think talking less, the less and less, the more the resentment builds up with the press corps, lecturing the press corps. I'm, I'm a 
let's say, the context of things, as if the press corps doesn't know <laughs> the context of things, <laughs> and they've been around a long, long time. So um, there is somebody who will go nameless, we'll call him Mr. V, and he is not someone I uh, support, but one of his talents was actually talking to reporters at all hours. He was known to be completely accessible. Uh, talk to reporters at three in the morning. Now, I'm not saying the mayor's got to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Should be talking to mayors at three in the morning, but I would have regular meetings with the press corps where you have conversations with them. Okay. And also, I have had many meetings with an editorial board. And if I was going to go into the editorial board and want it off the record, I would have the call with the head of the editorial board, who's a wonderful woman, and say, hey, if we come in, we'd like this meeting to be off the record. And then you can, Lorraine, you know, Fort, and you can talk about it. And she might say, Lori, you know, that's just not going to work for us. And then you don't have the meeting, yeah. right? You don't, well, you don't have the meeting off the record. You don't have the meeting at all. What I mean is you is have it the deal killer. But, yeah, but what I'm no, no. What I'm saying is, before you walk into the room, you set the rules of engagement. Mm -hmm. Why didn't someone just call the editorial board and say, "Look, the mayor would really like to talk to you off the record this time," and they may say, "No, can do," and then the mayor's office can decide whether they want to have the meeting and say, "We understand you don't want it off the record. Can we? We'll just come back to you in a, a in a few, you know, in a few weeks when we feel ready to talk about this on the record." Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because they have a relationship. You don't walk no. into a room and then say, "I want this off the record." No, it's I like hear you. Okay, so yeah. First of all, it's an utter absurdity. I will say this: it's an utter absurdity to request an off the record conversation with a whole board i understand the way they spin reporters is you want to want it like if you have you like would rom ever do anything no rom would individually call whichever reporter he wanted to spend and tell him what a wonderful human being they are and how smart they are and right. the reporter would be gullible enough to believe that rom is sincere i can't believe any reporter in this town but but they stuck i actually have talked to reporters who you don't understand he's really sincere so one-on-one -on -one, yes a whole board is insanity Lori. So it was not, a bad idea from, from uh, okay, Brandon Johnson's people. I got to say that. That said, stop crying, press corps. It's not the end of the freaking world. Nobody cares about the press corps at all. And it's just like right. sobbing okay. about yourself. Actually, that's not true. And, and this is where I don't agree with you. Oh, say it. Okay, which is these elected officials and policymakers – uh, civic leaders care a great deal about the press corps and what they think, or they wouldn't hire our firm. Okay. They care because they want to get their voice in as quote unquote objective a way as possible out as a third party affirmation of who they are, which then they can put on social media. And so I, I, I really don't agree with that. And I believe that having, I've been, for a brief time in San Francisco, I was the chief of staff of the head of the board of supervisors who ran for mayor, but he was such a bad guy that I had to quit after six weeks because he did not represent my values. But I mean, I'm not saying he was a bad person. He did not represent my values, okay, to moderate that statement. My point to you is that 
um, when I was in City Hall, you could see the obsequious nature of some reporters because access was everything. They wanted access to, and that's why I was actually brought in. So I was brought in as a political consultant to act as chief of staff because he was running for mayor. And I was supposed to see what the bombshells were going to come in. And so there were some reporters, they would bend over backwards because they wanted to get the quotes and the access. And I didn't really have a lot of respect for those guys or gals. And then there were some reporters who actually ended up having affairs with him. And that was really troubling because they would go into his office and you'd look at that desk and not want to really see the image you thought was happening there. And then there were other reporters and I call them teddy bears with claws. And I think the best reporters are teddy bears with claws. And, um, I do Wait, believe explain that, what a teddy bear with claws is. Go I'm ahead. about to. So teddy bear, you know, a reporter comes in and they're all really nicey nice and they're developing a relationship with you and they're really listening because that's what a reporter is supposed to do is really listen to you. And they make you feel important, like you're their friend. Maybe they'll go for drinks after work with you. And then, like, there was this guy who's now deceased, but he was on the editorial board. I'm back in San Francisco for some reason uh, with my candidate, Julie Tang. And I'll never forget, because I said to her, Julie, nothing is ever off the record. Do not say off the record. And from the minute you walk in to the minute you leave, everything is fair game for them to write about. And this guy... Paul, who I actually had briefly dated, <laughs> he says <laughs> to my client, we're at the elevator. I'm in my 20s. We're at the elevator. And he goes, oh, by the way, Julie, and asks like it wasn't even part of the interview. No big deal. She answers. And he completely, I'm going to do it fucks her completely the entire editorial starts with the off the cuff okay. statement and it just slays her through the entire thing and so i learned the hard way uh whether you're in a personal relationship with a reporter or not i don't care if a reporter's on deadline if a reporter needs the story because they're looking for the truth they don't care about you they, they need something. Reporters, now, I think I have very good relationships with reporters, and I think we are respected. But believe me, when a reporter wants something, they're my BFF. And when they don't, they don't respond to my texts until I be like, are you mad at me? <laughs> and they're like, no, I'm just so busy, Lord. <laughs> but, like, the point <laughs> is that with reporters, you do have to respect them, first of all. The first thing you have to do, you know, you walk into a room, you don't know why you don't like someone, you can sense they don't respect you. Don't game reporters. It's stupid. They are your communicators. I have a great deal of respect for the reporters I work with. I genuinely too. I could name, you know, a half a dozen people that I really, really think the world of. And I have worked with some of the great journalists in the country. And I, 
I want to say that if you are a good politician, actually, you're thinking in the long run, too, because you you want that relationship, not just for today. One last thing, Ben. It's like money in the bank. You cannot get a bank loan when you need it. And when you do have something go wrong in your administration, unless you have some goodwill where people actually go, you know, that was a mistake, but this is a good person. They made an honest mistake. We're going to give them a break. But if people think you're a jerk, they're going to go, well, forget them. Mm. <laughs> I'm just going to write what I want to write. Well, actually, I, I, I'm going to push back with you. Guys, you said some. That was a classic Lori Glenn riff, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I just want to tell you, it was a classic Lori Glenn riff. On one hand, I completely forgot what my original question was. She so effectively bridged my question. It's a term I just learned from Lori today. Uh, and I couldn't remember my original question. But then there were all these enticing little uh, hints that she dropped along the way. Like, wait. Who, huh? Who's the person on the desk? What? I, <laughs> and then there's like all these hints, like, like alluding to people. I'm not going to name them. And I'm like thinking, who is she? Who is that person? <laughs> so I, I think I know who Mr. V was. Uh, in that, that, uh, that was, I mean, Politics is about gossip, rumors, and lies, Ben. It always has been. It always will be. And it's about illusion and presentation. If people, it's about perception. So now I'm going to say something that a, a lot of people in my game, you know, of communications in this particular might disagree with, but I think it's really important to show people your integrity. I think it's really important to show people what you believe in, who you are, to come from your heart. When I actually work with our clients, I literally, you know, yes, of course we draft speeches or quotes or releases, but they come from our listening uh, to our clients. And when we actually do media trainings, we want to hear what our clients have to say. We want it to be in their voice. We want it to come from their heart. Mm -hmm. And that's why Harold Washington was such an effective speaker. This man had been in prison for tax fraud and he came back to become the mayor of the city of Chicago, because as you said, you know, being in jail is not a big deal for an elected official in this town. But he came back because he was sincere. Harold Washington went to senior centers in white northwest side communities. He did all sorts of things. This is all communications, Ben. And he came from his heart. He showed fact. All right. Let's so. <laughs> that was a completely bogus prosecution of Harold Washington back in 1969 by the Richard Nixon administration, but we're not going to go there. Uh, and it wasn't prison, it was jail. All right. Uh, let's go back to something you said was a great riff. Uh, then you moved on to something else. Uh, politics is gossip, rumors, and lies. Whoa, LG, what are you saying there? Uh, you sound as jaded as I am, uh, but I, there's, I don't even know if I agree uh, with that <laughs> statement. <laughs> and I, I believe, before Loria, there is an inherent, I think Lori, like, uh, Lori, let me agree with me on this. There is an inherent bias that the mainstream media has against black leaders. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. Uh, they. I don't think anyone would ever say it, but I think it's part of a larger attitude that white people have toward black people in general. 
I've been a white person in America for a long time. I've been privy to all kinds of conversations off the record, on the record. People talking to me, they don't even know I'm a reporter. They don't know I'm a journalist. They're just talking to me. And I'm like, hmm, I have no reason to believe that a reporter anywhere, City Hall, would not carry these biases with him or her in dealing with black people. So oh, I believe I there's and moreover, there's a bias against lefties. Oh my lord. Because the people who own the media outlets are at best centrists who don't who oppose lefty positions because that would be, in their view, taking money from them and spending it on people that they would rather not spend it on. So I believe those two things are at play. And uh, they hit hard at a mayor like Brandon Johnson. That is my personal belief. I'd love to get your thoughts on whether you agree with me that there is a bias against black politicians in particular and lefties as well. Go. So, first of all, one of the reasons we do the work we do and always have for these many years is because... I believe that our country is inherently racist, was built on a racist agreement. And our clients, I'm a white Jewish woman. <laughs> and uh, uh, I believe that, and I have been, um, what's the privileged? Oh, privileged white Jewish woman from the near north side of Chicago. Chicago. And I went to Metal Horse, but then I went to Latin school in Chicago for a couple of years. And that was uh, sex and drugs and rock and roll. That's a whole nother story. And, um, you know, so I've spent my life's work trying to actually ensure that people of color, because I just don't get it. People who are black and brown and, again, Muslim, uh, get the same treatment that I get when I walk into a room. And let me tell you, though. Let's make it clear. It's not white women also. It's white men who have still the ultimate privilege because I spent my life's work also showing, and it's getting better, but it's not where it needs to be, that women can have a seat at the table and have power and be strategic. So um, I absolutely believe that any person who is in an elected role, I mean, Think about Barack, who's a very brilliant man and uh, an attractive man, and uh, not my type, but an attractive man. And, you know, he's like a good guy. And I knew Barack before he was president. But once he became president, people were like so amazed that, you know, oh, he could put two and two together. Right. And that he was so elegant. Like, why would they be so surprised? Oh, you mean because he's a black guy? Oh, I see. Oh, maybe he's from, and he might be African or Muslim at that. I mean, these racist undertones, well, they're just everywhere. And that's, that is absolutely a given. But that is why, and, and racist, and again, misogynistic, and the role of women. So I do not deny that. But you cannot, it's so funny. You, but that is why it's a, it, it's not what other people think. If you're going to actually try and change the way other people think, you still have to be true to yourself and your heart and your values. And the other piece was being progressive. So I understand because I've been a progressive all my life as well and worked with progressive organizations and leaders. So I absolutely believe that's true, but that is why it is so important as progressives 
that we learn how to communicate in language that people can understand. So you can either decide to judge people or you can emphasize what is different about you. Or I would argue that um, it is um, more effective to try and find what you have in common. And so I worked with an organizer that you know very well uh, when they were the executive director of the organization of the Northeast in many, many moons ago. And uh, I worked for the first National Bank of Chicago and they hated this guy. I mean, I knew that because I worked there, but I knew this man and I worked with his wife. And so I said to this guy who was the head of corporate affairs, who was our, I worked with, I said, you know, I know you guys are really mad at this person, but I really think you like him and that, you know what, you both have adopted children. And he goes, oh, really? I said, oh, yes. And so uh, I set up this meeting between these two people. And as a result of it, long and short of it, is the bank made a $2 million commitment at the time. I mean, this is a long time ago. $2 million certainly meant a lot more. But my point to you is I didn't try. And then this I opened a door. This person had to walk through and then build this relationship. So as a communicator, and I've been actually doing my own little uh, discussions on democracy in America today on um, uh, what do we call uh, Instagram. <laughs> my point to you is that I don't, when I work with my clients who are progressive, like cop, we just won a huge victory, police out of schools in the city of Chicago. We worked on this issue for four years. We tried to develop language that people that are everyday people will try to understand because it's not about ideology. You know, here we are in a pluralistic society. You're duking it out in the world of ideas from the left to the right. And we try to find somewhere in the middle where we can live with this. Now, sometimes we go too extreme one way or the other. Uh, but I believe that my job is to help clients. And it's hard, Ben, because I work with another generation now who are Gen Z. And I'm at the end of the baby <laughs> generation. And I just had a communications and they could be listening, uh, you know, media training where um, they were uncomfortable with some of the things the trainers said. And I was surprised it wasn't me. I was thinking it would have been me, but it wasn't someone that I brought in. And uh, I realized it was generational. This is a different generation. Now I could go, well, you all just don't understand. Or I go, let me understand you because I got to change how we work so we can give you the support that you need. Do you see what I'm saying? So, I mean, the left can also, you know, I'm trying to say, what is the difference between authoritarianism and totalitarianism? <laughs> and so on the left, which can be very righteous because uh, they've been righteous with me in my life, I have to say directly, because I don't fit their box of what someone on the left should look like or act like. And we made money doing the work we did on social issues and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But 
I, so I, 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 you could say people don't, I I don't really, I, you know what, Ben, like, I don't care if people give the left a hard time. What I think about is how do we transform the way we present ideas so people will hear them? Well, okay. So yes, it's a a similar point to the one I was making about reporters. Nobody cares about your individual feelings. So yes, I don't care if the left is offended. I suppose uh, that would be accurate, but I do believe there's an entrenched bias against leftist viewpoints. Uh, Yes, this, this leftist or that leftist could be uh, obnoxious and annoying and I would not want to talk to them or watch a basketball game with them or hang out with them and so forth. You're absolutely correct to that point. Uh, But just the, the concept, for instance, the concept that your clients just got through, uh, that the, the Board of Education v- voted to uh, remove police uh, from the schools. And so that and that money should be spent uh, on arrest, uh, other policies to deal uh, with hostilities between students. That is comes from the left. Basically, the left side of the political equation here in the city of Chicago and as such will be vehemently knee-jerk opposed to by moderates and right because it'll be viewed as anti-police and defund the police. Uh, And that is a reality that any uh, publicist, strategist for the left will have to deal with. There will be that inherent bias. Uh, Similarly, if there's a proposal by Jerry Reinsdorf, the White Sox, the Bears, any major corporation that wants a handout, uh, they will have a platoon, and I mean platoon, of strategists who will be telling reporters uh, that this will be beneficial to the city, this will create jobs, even if they have no substantiation for it, and those reporters will effectively just print that. And that is, those are the two biases that anybody on the left must confront. And you're right. They undercut their cause when they're jerks. Individuals are jerks. I completely agree with you. The jerk factor is alive. Uh, It's always, (laughs) but, but even there's a double bias. The biggest jerks in the, in the city of Chicago, Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley were worshiped by the same reporters that get offended when a lefty is a jerk. So why do you kiss Rom's butt when he's a jerk? And why do you bow down to Daly when he's a jerk, but you get so offended? Not you personally, I'm using the collective you. When a lefty is a jerk, that in itself is a bias. Do you agree with me or disagree with me? Um, so I think that there's a we have to unpack because there's a lot of different sub-issues here. One is just about power. And so when people are in power, And I know this because so many of my clients have not been in power. So I had this phone call years ago. I was pitching the reporters about some education issue. And for some reason, and they were being super nice to me, like nicer than they ever, ever are. And I'm like, am I on drugs? Like, what is wrong with me? Like, what am I doing today? And then I realized they thought because of this issue, I will not bore you with I was calling from the Chicago public schools. (laughs) And so I have this credibility inherently that I was CPS. And I'm like, God, that must feel really good to get calls. You know, you call all these reporters and they treat you like extra special because you're from CPS versus me calling from, you know, uh, you know, uh, what was it? My uh, acronym. So my ABCs. So my point to you is, um, one, there's a question of power. And it's, I just said earlier, gossip, rumors, and lies. And it's about perception. 
So if people perceive you as powerful, then they are going to be afraid of you. So it's a perception. Now, I have heard this, and I am not, I want a, a caveat here because I got to live and work in this town. And I want this mayor to succeed. But I have heard, and from others, there is a perception that um, uh, it would be helpful to have a more sophisticated communications um, uh, game. Mm -hmm. And so I want this guy to succeed. That's it. I, I want this mayor who I think has, uh, we share values and he works with my clients regularly. So I don't want anyone mad at me, but if I said that it is a shame that this press corps is feeling this way and that it's becoming an issue so that it's, it's enough of an issue that it's affecting his job. So then it needs to be addressed. Now you could say it's them. Oh, it's them. But you know, I have just fucked up so many things in my life. You know, it's just extraordinary. And I would at times want to think it was the other. But my life got so much better, Ben, when I just said, you know, God, that was really a bad <laughs> I should not have said that. I should not have done that. I wake up in the middle of the night for something I did in my 30s. And I'm like, what was I? <laughs> so my point to you is I don't think you know, I think life is a process and we all have a lot to learn. And I think what lifelong learning really means is iterative learning. And I hope the mayor will think about what people are trying to say to him and that he will uh, evolve with it. You know, when the, one last thing, Crane sent this editorial, but in the form of a letter to Mayor Lightfoot in the summer after she was elected. And actually it was a really nice letter. It said, Dear Mayor Lightfoot, congratulations. We want you to succeed. We're a little concerned with, you know, your behavior. And we really want that woman back who won that night with that beautiful speech and the things you, I mean, this was cranes for God's sake. This is not a leftist publication. And she didn't listen. Now, if I were her, because I know her comms people and I love them and they're great, they're friends of mine. So this is really on her because you can only do so much with a client. Yeah. So the buck does stop with the mayor and I hope that the mayor will listen. Yeah. And that's what I will say. And then act in a different way. So people feel heard because they're not stupid. And to make people feel as if you are the smartest guy in the room. Look, you might say that Rom did such a great job. I would never say that. <laughs> but with the press corps, what I do oh, know. press corps. Oh, my God. At the end of the day, even, my yeah. mother, who's now 93-year-old, yeah. you know, an old Jew who lived on Lakeshore Drive, one day she said to me, oh, I, I, I hate Rom. I'm like, she initially she loved him, and frankly, Ram and I are not BFFs. And so, uh, we, uh, and she would always be, I would be like, like, whatever, whatever, I don't care. And then one day, she and her old Jewish boyfriend who lived on Lakeshore Drive said, 
yeah, he's, he's an asshole. And, you know, then I knew he was in trouble because his base were like these old Jews who were like, oh, what a nice Jewish boy. He's the mayor of Chicago. And so I'm going to say that communication goes in every which way. Ben. Yeah. And that, you know, making people be afraid of you. And I saw Mayor Daly. I did a million events with him. He was never our client, you know, with not-for-profits. And I saw how his, I saw him angry. <laughs> I saw that temper. And okay. yet, it, so anyway. All right. Let's, so I w- want to close off that riff because I want to close with uh, you riffing on this other topic that is completely unrelated. I will yes. say this. Uh, and, um, I, I remember that Crane's editorial, I think I remember it and I, at the time I was revolted by it in a certain, certain degree, because again, I will repeat this over and over and over again. If you have a principled opposition to people who behave obnoxiously and like jerks, I share that. I would like to see it universally applied and the press corps in the city of Chicago buffered to a certain degree or promoted is the word I'm looking for daily and Rom and their attitude was the jerkdom of daily and Rom is the medicine we need as a city uh, to prosper. But when it came to Lori Lightfoot's jerkdom, Oh my God, mayor, how could you be so mean? Well, first of all, mayor and Rom played because I knew them and is they played an inside game. Like, I was trying to tell you the corruption of reporters is when you want to play the inside game and you want access and they knew how to play that. And I am telling you, we thought Lori would be different. I thought she was going to be different and I will just leave it at that. And we wanted, so when you are supposed to be different, right? Seriously. No, this is really why they had problems. They said they'd be different. But they, Lori actually had been in the administration. She had initially been appointed by David. I can't buy that. It's not, I'm not it's, saying that it's Lord not. Lori Lightfoot never said when she was running, I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm not going to be unlike Rom, who was a mean tyrant. I'm going to be oh. unlike Daly, who was a mean tyrant. She never said that. She yeah. said, I'd run a transparent, open government, which Rom said, and neither of them really rare transparent, but she open didn't government. Then. But she didn't that. She didn't that. She did not act in the way that those of us had expected her to. And there is an expectation. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. And you can say, yes, it's race. I'm not denying it. She was, first of all, she was a black, gay, short woman. (laughs) I I mean, like, I'm sorry. I agree that there if you're going to have biases and prejudices she was a package of them okay but that meant then the ability to be relational and i'm sorry i'm going to go back to harold i didn't even know harold but everybody and i saw him and in the movie i want i've seen a million this guy read a room okay and that's that incalculable ability as well to use humor and to not degradate the people around you and not to obfuscate because that does not work well. Okay, so I will just say this before we move to the last topic. In your lifetime, basically your adult lifetime, Chicago has elected four years, not even four years yet, five years of people who are mayors who are nice and respectful and 
over 30 years of mayors who were mean and nasty. The only mayor who got called on it for being mean and nasty was Lori Lightfoot. And that's a fact. You got to look yourself in the mirror on that one. No, you gotta say what? got fired for being a jerk. He even said in some interview I heard, no, I disagree with you. And also- Wait, wait, wait you disagree with you on which part? I don't, I believe that you're saying the city of Chicago doesn't care if people are mean. But no, I'm- they, they, res- they like, they res- either respect or are afraid mean and nastiness when, with certain people who are white. When they're offended, oh my God, I'm so, you can't get along with anyone. And their offended behavior that they find offensive with black people is behavior they not only tolerate, but worship uh, with white people. I just won't disagree as a political consultant when I ran electoral campaigns. I worked with all men. I was in my 20s. It was a nightmare. They were mean. They were jerks. They were assholes. They couldn't have beaten me up more psychologically. All right. So, and our clients. So I once had a client walk in because, you know, I've like questioned, how do I present myself to people? And, you know, when I was in my thirties, you know, I had a big, a fairly successful firm, I would suggest. And, you know, I was in the game. And so people would come in. I was considered, you know, probably a tough bitch and, you know, whatever, but I was smart you know, the smartest Jew in the room. <laughs> We've talked about that. Anyway, and I had a client come in who will go nameless. It was a state agency. And some people the day before had said I was mean. And so I was feeling really bad that I was mean. And so my clients walk in, it's these two guys. They were kind of like Mutt and Jeff. I mean, I like these guys, not, you know, they weren't stupid or anything. They were smart guys. And we start talking and I'm being really nice. And the one guy goes, what the fuck is going on? Where is Lori Glenn? This is not who we hired. What What's happening? And then I read, I go, oh shit. So I go back into my mode. I'm like, oh, I'm just fucking with you. And go back into being this tough bitch, which they wanted to hire. Because that meant I was in the game. Now, I was in my 30s, and that worked for a while, but it was toxic. And now at 65, I do not play that game anymore. I won't play it. And actually, this new generation, they don't want any part of it. So I I values are changing. And I, I absolutely, if people want to play that game, I can give them the names of five or 10 people. They want to play that game. Me, I'm trying to build young leadership to be the new leadership in our country that is value-centered, that treats people with respect, that has boundaries, not fences. Fences do not make good neighbors anymore. <laughs> God. So do you see what I'm saying? So I, 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 understand. I, I hope you're right. I hope you're correct. The world is changing, and I see it with my clients, the whole next generation. I will never, I will not play that game. And I don't even know how to be that person anymore. And I know when I see people from my past, I know they're going to look at me with a jaundiced eye and think I'm going to be some asshole to them. And I'm kind of like, oh, shit. All right. Hi. <laughs> I just want to point out this country seems poised to uh, elect Donald Trump, who's ex- everything that you say uh, the disease sure. don't want. But let's hold off on that particular conversation. <laughs> and close with this one. Uh, and uh, I'm not wishing I had asked this one first, but whatever. Uh, when Before we did the show, 
I mentioned uh, to Lori in passing like pops of topics. I do this with every guest. Uh, and I said, I really, you know, I would like to talk about uh, the Supreme Court ruling in Alabama regarding in vitro fertilization. Uh, and as I do, I respect every guest, as Lori knows. And I go, if, if this is something you're comfortable talking about, you've read about this, let's talk about it. And Lori said, are you kidding me? And went on a riff, ladies and gentlemen, before. And I'm like, Lori, don't do the show before the show. Do the show during the show. So we're going to close. Please, as best you can, replicate that riff. It was really one I think people should hear. Uh, why you're so opposed uh, to uh, the decision that the MAGA judges in Alabama made uh, is essentially claiming uh, outlawing in vitro, in more or less, uh, the whole industry. So the floor is yours, Lori Glenn. Well, hey, everyone. So I uh, was 44 years old and uh, I had just gotten married. Um, I'm, I married a handsome French man. Don't do it. <laughs> French artist. <laughs> that was an aside that I was not even in the pre-show riff. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And so uh, my dad was dying of cancer. And under, unfortunately, cancer has been in my life longer than I uh care to think about. So I was 44 and um, I'd also had abortions. I am extremely pro-choice. This is my body. And at this point, I really wanted though to have a child before my dad died. His name was Roland Glenn and he was a wonderful man. And he was a real feminist too. Shout out to dad. So, um, but ironically, um, because I had some surgery that had nothing to do with my abortions. Uh, uh, my fallopian tubes had gotten stuffed and uh, I could not conceive. And this was like so ironic because I was like a bunny. It was unfortunate. <laughs> and so uh, I decided my uh, then husband and I decided we'd do in vitro which is, especially at the time, incredibly expensive. Thank God for credit cards. So uh, I, we did the in vitro and, you know, got the eggs inside of me and, and ultimately it worked, but there was a little caveat. I'd, uh, the fetuses or fetus was growing in my fallopian tubes. So my doctor sat me down and basically um, said, uh, we can't let you go through with this because it'll kill you, basically, because your fallopian tubes, and they couldn't move them. It's not like, oh, we'll just take them out of the fallopian tubes and put them back in your uterus, Lori. So uh, I basically had to take chemotherapy, which was ironic because I'd also had breast cancer previously and never had to do chemo, but I had to swallow something that would basically abort the baby. And, uh, uh, and I did, and it was very sad. And uh, I, I didn't do it again. And, um, and that ended up being okay, because I didn't stay with this person. And I'm good with all that. But the bottom line is, today, if that happened, would I be uh, considered a killer? Would I be considered a murderer? Did I murder my babies? because I had a, um, an in vitro, uh, 
there's a ectopic pregnancy. And so I say to all these legislators and men, I mean, I just love all these ideas that men come up with for women's bodies. And it does concern me that women would ever want the state to control their bodies, let alone mine. And so I say to everyone out there, it's your choice. Do you think I'm a murderer? Because I had to have um, my uh, babies that were, uh, they were, and they weren't babies yet even. They were, you know, just put inside of me. And the doctor said I was pregnant. We went to True, this ridiculously expensive restaurant, spent $1,000 on dinner, thought I was going to be a mom. And then I tragically found out, and I remember going to the zoo. He gave me this medicine, Lincoln Park Zoo, and sitting on a bench and just, you know, being devastated. So that, to me, across the country, there are women and men who they really want to have families, and they can't have families for whatever reason. And why would any of you want to get in the way of their dream? Because, again, if uh, one of these, you know, eggs and, you know, the little things they're putting into you drops on the floor. Did you kill someone? Are you going to send that person who dropped them on the floor? I mean, there's just all of it. Why are we getting involved in the, in the the bedrooms and the personal lives of other people? Now, my clients over the many, many years have been religious institutions. I am a uh, secular Jew. And they were very religious from being Baptists to Christians, to Catholics, to Muslims. I'd have Muslims literally because my offices were in my home. Uh, During the day, we'd have meetings in my bedroom, you know, doing their prayers. (laughs) I respect people's religious beliefs. I believe that you get to believe in God. And I believe I get to not believe in God. And I believe that this body, from the moment I was born, it's my body. It's not yours to determine. I am not a Stepford wife. I am not that chillingly frightening um, book about uh, women becoming receptacles just for our society to make babies. And what I want to say to all these wonderful Republican judges and Christians, um, you want to keep all these babies alive, but then once they become human beings, you won't give them a dime and you destroy them, especially if they're people of color. So the hypocrisy, I want to know, you're the Christians. You're the Christians. You say that we should treat poor people well. I mean, isn't that what Jesus, who was a very smart Jewish boy, uh, you know, isn't that what he said was you're supposed to be kind to poor people and people, but in America, we think poor people are stupid. We don't think they're deserving. Yet we give all the breaks to billionaires. Oh my God, we're upside down here. So I care a lot about this, Ben. And no, and let me tell you on abortion, it is my right to have or not have a baby. And all the men that I had sex with, let me tell you, nobody really cared at that moment about whether or not I got pregnant. (laughs) And afterwards, let me tell you, it was really my responsibility what I was going to do or not do. And so you do not get to judge me. And I don't judge people who decide to have a whole lot of children when we have too many people on this planet. 
It's like, okay, that's your thing. I'm going to respect you. I'm almost speechless at that riff, at everything you covered there. Uh, it was very moving. On other, I, there's literally nothing I could say uh, in in response other than bravo, Lori Glenn. Uh, that was my humble opinion, really well done. Covered a lot of ground. Uh, and I wish, I wish that, how do I put this? I wish that uh, the pro-choice political community was just strong uh, in what they, what, you, you get what I'm saying? Like just, just, just that strong and, and commanding and undiluted as you were in that message, you know? And uh, Thank I, you. yeah, I, I absolutely wish that I don't politically, I bow to the great strategist to go, Ben, you can't be that strong there. You got to win over those swing voters in suburban Wisconsin. That's the ROM at uh, David Axelrod, Barack Obama point of view. But I don't know, as a tar- articulation of uh, liberty and uh, health needs and uh, the hypocrisy of those who say they believe in life <laughs> while making so many people's lives miserable once they are living uh, in the world. It's a great riff, Lori Glenn. So I may not see eye to eye with you on like how to handle how certain mayors handle the press corps, but I see eye to eye with you on that one. That is for certain. All right, uh, Lori, before I let you go, uh, any one thing you want to promote? The floor is yours to promote it. Go. I want to say, Ben, you're a great journalist that I've known you now since I was 28. I'm now 65. And still going. And uh, I really appreciate that you keep pushing the boundaries. And I really appreciate that you try to get different voices out there for people to hear and to allow me to have a platform. Because really, you know, I'm not famous. I'm not a celebrity. My job's been to put other people's voices out there. And I just want to thank you for letting me share my thoughts today. All right, very good, uh, Lori Glenn. 37 years. I'm going to go for a walk and think of 37 years of Lori Glenn. And when I'm on that walk, uh, Lori, I'm going to think about who is she? I think I figured out who you were talking to do with that story about uh, the client and the banker. I think I went to junior high with the guy question with that story. So I'm going to be walking on that street. <laughs> who is Lori? Like the annotated Lori. You know what I'm saying? Like the annotated poem. Like who is she? Where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> By the way, Lori's loving me now. You should see her when she's mad at me. Okay? I've been on the... Oh, Ben, I love you. No, when she's mad at me. Ben! <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, LG, thank you so much. The great Lori Glenn. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, you're always welcome. And also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. And I'm sure Lori Glenn agrees with me when I say, hey, producer Chris. Thank give you. Give yourself a raise. Awesome. Thank Take you. Take that cash. Peace and love, Lori. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode and another week of the Ben Jarofsky Show here brought to you by the Chicago Reader. If you want to find more Ben Jarofsky, you want columns, you want to catch up on bonus interviews that you might have missed, he drops them all the time. You just need to head to chicagoreader.com. If you want to find Ben on Instagram, at Benny J Show. That's it. You can find all of his reels, his funny clips, his, uh, his clips from the show, so much more all right there on Instagram. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show. Like, subscribe, and follow The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming 
and podcasting platforms. 